Uh, one of the things that I really think is important is that we hear from people who are real experts on, on different things. So the idea of this series has been that we're discovering the God who unites in the midst of the differences that divide. Uh, back in April, uh, I got to go on a retreat and planned this series. And as soon as I, I felt God speaking and saying, hey, we need to spend a Sunday talking about politics, and we should probably do it right around the time of the election, I knew I wanted to talk to Sandra about preaching this Sunday. Uh, Sandra is a professor of political science at Ferrum College. Uh, she's been a faithful member of this church for almost a year now and has been coming here longer than that and is all around awesome and just uh, received tenure, I think, like very recently, which is awesome. Uh, what, what? And so uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray for Sandra and pray over her message and then I'm going to invite her to speak. So would you pray with me? God, we give you so much thanks for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for the gift of community, and we thank you that you unite us even in the times, in the spaces in our world that may be divisive. And so we pray for Sandra this morning, that as she prepares to deliver your word, God, that we would be hearing it as your word. That we would be able to receive the words that you've written in scripture and the words that come forth from Sandra's mouth, to be able to ponder those and reflect on those in our hearts and in our souls and to be able to leave this place differently than we came in. God, make us united. Make us one with each other and one with you. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Would you join me in welcoming Sandra? Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, like Jonathan said, I'm a professor of political science and international studies at Ferrum College. And uh, Jonathan asked me to talk on this subject back in the summer. And initially, my reaction was like, oh, crap. Um, one, because it's one thing to talk in front of my students. It's a completely different thing to talk in front of you guys. Um, the other thing was part of the reason I chose Fieldstone as my church and part of the reason I like Fieldstone was because I hadn't heard anybody talk about politics. <laughs> So, so when Jonathan asked me to do this particular sermon, I was like, but this is the reason why I came here. <laughs> and then I realized that God was calling me to do this for a reason, that I needed to talk about politics because we can talk about politics in church and do it in a way that is civil, that shows the love of God and the love of each other. So... When I started thinking about what I wanted to talk about, thankfully John and Jonathan gave me some ways to go, um, I knew one thing. This sermon is not going to have any endorsements. Okay, I'm not going to talk about the candidates. I'm not going to talk about their policy positions. That's not what I'm going to do. What I am going to do is I'm going to address two different questions. Okay, so the first question is, what does it look like for us in the church to see our hope not in a political leader or way of thinking, but in the way of Jesus. The second question is, can we learn what it means to respect and honor our differences, even in a time like this? So to answer these two questions, we're first going to look at scripture. As I was researching in, in this, I found this passage in Romans, Romans 12, 9 through 21. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. 
Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourself to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and do not curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as an equal and don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions. But show respect for what everyone else believes is good. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, revenge belongs to me. I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you will pile burning coals on the fire upon his head. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So there's a lot going on in that passage, right? But one of the first things, the first word in the passage is love. And if you guys go and do a Google search, you'll find that love is mentioned in the Bible anywhere from 350 times to 550 times, depending on your translation. It's one of the most used words in the Bible. That alone tells us that our calling is to love one another. <clears throat> so this passage in particular is calling us to love each other and respect each other despite our differences. That's really hard to do, especially in a time like this. Um, I find it challenging sometimes. As a political science professor, I'm told that I should be unbiased all the time. That's a real challenge because you're facing or you're with students who have grown up in a particular cultural setting. They've been uh, socialized a certain way, right? And they have certain beliefs and values already that are going to be different from your own. So you have to find a way to respect them and teach them how to respect you. Now, loving and respecting each other is probably the hardest thing that we have, that we can do. And this election in particular has caused a huge rift. This election cycle has been the most uncivil and divisive election since the Civil War. Um, we literally, uh, our candidates are the two most hated candidates in history. We have seen people do things that have resulted in destruction of property, fights, intimidation, and even death threats against the candidates. We're better than this. God tells us we're better than this. God made us in his own image. He made them in his image. So, 
what I'm going to do first is address that first question. What does it look like for us in the church to see hope, not in a political leader or in a way of thinking, but the way of Jesus? So God tells us that we are better than hate and prejudice, especially that the hate and prejudice we see on the nightly news that we see espoused by our political leaders. If you go back to the scripture again, so he, Paul says, bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Consider everyone as equal and don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone with evil actions, but show respect for everyone and who shows and believes to be good. I'm sorry, I have to have notes. So Paul is not telling us that we should let somebody just harass you for your political beliefs or any other beliefs, your values, nothing like that. He's not saying, you know, just always turn a blind eye, but he is saying that we can disagree with each other and still get along. That we don't have to support the same candidate to get along because ultimately, they're just a person. We make up society. We make up what we want to see in the world. And in order for us to have a world that gets along with each other, we have to be the example. Sure, they're sitting in a place of power, and we see them there. But we have the power to make sure that their incivility doesn't affect everybody else. So we can do this and we can have peace. So then we go back to the second question. Can we learn what it means to respect and honor our differences, even in a time like this? John Wesley actually gives us the answer to this. In 1774, he said, I met those of our society who have had votes in the ensuing election and advised them to vote without fee or reward for the person they judged most worthy, to speak no evil of the person they voted against, and to take their spirits were not sharpened against those who voted on the other side. Now, going back to that challenge I face as a political science professor, this is it. Over the years, I've learned that uh, I don't have to hide my political values and that I don't want my students to either. One of the things I always tell my students is you can never understand your own values and beliefs without understanding somebody else's. That you have to be able to empathize with people who differ from you because that's the only way you strengthen your own values and beliefs. But that's also how you learn to respect others who have different values and beliefs. So <clears throat> I also tell them, don't hang out in just groups with like-minded people. And we're all guilty of that. We all do it. It's easy to do it. And that's one of the things that he's telling us the most is that the challenge for all of us is to make sure that we do surround ourselves with people that don't agree with us. 
because we become better people by interacting with them. My students have to go out into the world and they have to interact with people who have different political ideologies. Um, I've had one student, he is a, you would call him a raging liberal. And he, uh, when he graduated, he went to, he, he was determined he's going to work at Capitol Hill. So he went to Capitol Hill and he handed out his resume every day for, I think he said 90 days. And he finally got a, an interview with a congressman and he got hired because that congressman liked the fact that he was able to debate him and didn't share the same values. Now, this raging liberal, when he finally moved further up, he was offered a position with Eric Cantor. I don't know if you guys know who Eric Cantor is. Eric Cantor is very conservative. And Eric Cantor said the reason why he wanted to offer him this position was because he liked the fact that he could debate him and it didn't turn into a brawl, right? So I give my students that example all the time of how you can respect somebody and then move forward with life. So I want to introduce you to two other students. So the first one, his name is Matt. Matt is, um, I lovingly refer to him as my little Republican, even though he is not little at all. He towers over me, he's like uh, six foot five. And Matt, the moment he stepped into my classroom, he immediately said, well, I'm a Republican, so I believe in this. Okay, that's fine. And I asked him, well, what does the other side believe? Well, it doesn't matter, they're wrong. <laughs> doesn't work that way, Matt. Sure it does. No, 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 it doesn't. You have to talk to them. Why? Well, because you're going to spend four years with these people, for one. Well, it doesn't mean I have to talk to them. Well, we're a small college. This classroom's 15 people, and this is a big class. <laughs> so, you know, when we get down to start having five people in the class, you do have to talk to them. Okay, okay. So, the next student I want to introduce you to is Lane. Lane is my little Democrat. And calling him little Republican and little Democrat, that, that is uh, a terms of endearment for me. Okay, it really is. And they know that too. So Lane is, uh, he came in the same way as Matt. Started espousing his uh, Democratic ideals and didn't really want to interact with anybody. It's like, Lane, you can't do that. Well, then I got Lane and Matt in the same classroom. That was a fun day. But it was a good day for both of them because for the first time, they were engaging ideologically, intellectually, with somebody who didn't agree with them. And when they explained their values, I literally watched as both of them kind of were like, oh, you don't want to destroy the country. No. No, you don't, neither one of you want to destroy the country with your political ideologies. You want what's best for the country. You just have different ways of going about it. So then, a few years ago, um, I finally figured out it was uh, when Terry McAuliffe ran for governor. Lane was working 
at a speech that he was giving in Roanoke, and Matt was there protesting. And I have this great picture of the two of them together, Matt holding up his protest sign, and then Lane holding up his vote for uh, McAuliffe sign, right? And even now to this day, they both graduated, they both gone their separate ways, they still talk to each other. I, I noticed their, their Twitter feeds the other day. They were engaging each other in debate again. But they always end it civilly with each other and always wish each other well. They are the perfect example of how two very different people from, actually they don't even have very different backgrounds. Lane is from Franklin County, Matt is from Carroll County. So they kind of, they grew up in the same region. They grew up with parents of the same beliefs. But they found a way to come together and to love and respect one another, despite their political beliefs. So that then goes back to the question, how do we honor our differences? What, does this, what do we do after this election? Because one way or the other, on Tuesday, Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, depending on how the counting goes, somebody, few of us in this room are not going to be happy with the decision, right? We're not going to be happy with the outcome. So what do we do? Well, first thing we do is we don't throw a temper tantrum. But the other thing we have to do, and we have to do it, is we have to set an example for our children. Now, I'm not a parent, but all of my students are my kids. I refer to them as my kids. Even though they're 18, some of them are even older than me, actually. But they're still my kids, right? I get them at the point in time where they are probably the most vulnerable in terms of trying to figure out their identity. And when they see uncivil behavior occurring all around them, they're going to mimic it, whether they're 18 or 5. So the other day I was asking one of my classes, we were talking about culture wars. And I said, does a culture war exist in the United States or is it a political ploy? And I'm the belief that it is a political ploy. So we were having this debate. And then one of my students, he raised his hand and he said, Dr. Vi, for us, it's always been a culture war. I said, what do you mean? Explain. He said, well, we've never lived in a time where politics wasn't divisive. We've never seen compromise in Congress. And I got to thinking about it. These kids were born in anywhere between 1997 and 1999. So they become you know, more cognizant around after 9-11. And I thought, he's right. He's never once seen compromise in Congress. He's never once seen Congress be truly civil with each other. We need to change that. And that starts with us. We can look to our political leaders, of course. And there are a lot of options you have in terms of bringing civility back there. But if we want to see a world that respects and honors differences, 
we have to show our children and our peers that we can get along despite our differences. That you can love somebody of a different party and still hold to your core political values or your core political or religious beliefs or anything. You can still hold to those and still respect one another. I think about every time I go home, my dad and I, we do not agree politically at all. My mom has a rule, no political talk at dinner. But, I mean, of course he's my dad. I'm going to love him. But I have cousins who I don't see, you know, I see once a year at Christmas or Thanksgiving. We disagree, but I still love them. The challenge is that stranger that you have nothing in common with. How do you get along with them? How do you get along with somebody that has on a Make America Great shirt or a Hillary shirt, but you don't agree with them? Well, it's pretty easy, actually. You go over to them, extend a handshake or a hug, and say, let's talk. Let's be friends. But at the same time, that's pretty hard because you want to hold to your own beliefs. And you think, ugh, especially with these two candidates, ugh, how can they ever vote for that person? But it's not about the person they're voting for, it's who they are. And that's what we have to remember. So in order for us to see the change in the world of political incivility, we have to do good deeds and have goodwill towards each other because that is ultimately what God is calling us to do. And that's respect and love one another. And I say respect. I don't mean tolerance. Tolerance isn't enough. Tolerance just means, okay, I'm going to leave that person alone. You know, I'm not going to talk to them. Respect means I'm going to talk to them, and while I still may disagree with them, I'm going to honor the fact that they have that belief structure. Whereas tolerance doesn't do that. Tolerance is just like, oh, I'm going to sit over here, and you be over here, and that's it. So my challenge to everybody here in this room is Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, no matter what the outcome, is we all set an example and show that we love our fellow man. Thank you.